Well, good morning. What, what are you glorying in? Um, I chose that last song very strategically. Um, so by way of introduction, I'll tell you why that song has so much personal meaning to me. Um, you all know me and my wife, Allison. We've been married for six years now. Um, we were courting for a year and a half before that. Our dear family friends, uh, the Fosters, are here, and they can attest to all the awkwardness and uh, how funny it was watching us uh, when we were that young. Um, but as we would talk about life and plan and prepare for what we wanted to do and how we thought our life should look, uh, the topic of children always comes up, or at least it probably should in those kind of conversations. And so as we talked, our plan and our desire, being from good southern homeschool families, was to raise a big southern homeschool family, uh, 12 or 15 kids, you know. Um, I'm not joking. If you go to Tulsa, where we're from, you will see white 15-passenger vans everywhere. Um, they do not, uh, yeah, they, they just uh, have lots of kids. And so that was our desire as well. We uh, felt like it's a, a, an excellent way to honor the Lord and um, just showing how to, uh, yeah, just raising children to grow up and, and uh, Lord willing, come to know Christ and, and serve His church, but um, just to be an example to other people of, of how families are a blessing from the Lord. So that was our great plan. Um, our idea of success, true success in, in the family, was to have a big family, and, and they would all be this great homeschool family, probably wearing denim skirts and things. <laughs> Um, and that was our idea of success. Um, it was only eight months into marriage that we had our first, uh, our first miscarriage, and we've had eight since. Um, every, every year except for 2014, we've had, uh, we've had miscarriages. We've had um, four last year alone. And um, the reason that song is so impactful to me, not only because of the wonderful lyrics and, and things, uh, last year, we had a, a miscarriage in January, and then we had one in February, and then we had one in March, and then we had one again uh, last November. But in February, um, well, we, we've always named our babies based on what the Lord was teaching us as we went through it. So we would wait and, uh, and see. So our first baby we named Patience, which was fitting because we were rearing and ready to go. And so we thought, oh, maybe another year or two, and the Lord will give us one. And so we named it Patience. Um, but um, this baby in February, we had talked about naming this baby Glory. Um, we wanted our glory to be in Christ and not in having children and having a big family. And so we thought that was an appropriate name. And so that Wednesday night, um, we went to church. We went to Calvary Chapel for a, a good long time. And we went to church, and, or I went to church, rather. Allison was still so um, just ill from that um, that she stayed home. And uh, this, the hymn that we sang, we never sing hymns at Calvary, um, but the hymn that we sang that night was, uh, Jesus, keep me near the cross. And that chorus, um, in the cross, in the cross, be my glory ever, uh, till my raptured soul shall find rest beyond the river. And um, as we had been considering this name already, to, to us that was complete confirmation from the Lord that that was a good name and, um, and a good reminder to us 
that our life has not turned out like we had hoped or planned. Um, but regardless of that, our glory is to be in Christ, um, not in what we thought we should uh, do or what our life should be like. And so in a similar way, um, just to bring it back to us, here we're preparing to be ministers to the church. Um, we, uh, we are preparing to go into ministry, and we're talking about what exciting things we can do for the Lord, and we'll get to go out and uh, serve in Sunday school or, or in music teams or, or you know, missionary work or just out in the community loving people for Christ, preaching and other things. And so we think about all these great things and how wonderful it's going to be, and that's good because there are wonderful aspects of ministry, and it is good. Um, but what do we do? How do we prepare for true success in ministry? Uh, we want to look at success not based on how we think it might should look, whether that uh, is uh, success means, you know, we, uh, we had this many, many people come tonight to service, or we had uh, people told me afterwards that I did great, whether it was an, a musical instrument or preaching or uh, just serving the kids' ministry, uh, and they're telling me, you know, all these happy, good things. Um, or, or success in ministry is also not, um, I helped 20 Arminianists become Calvinists. Um, that's my attempt at humor. Allison thought it was really funny. Um, but that's, that's not true success. Uh, what is true success? True success is seeing Jesus be glorified and, and Jesus be worshipped. Uh, true success means Jesus is increasing and we are decreasing. And that is true success in ministry. So here's my question for you. Uh, as you prepare for ministry, are you preparing for true success in ministry? Are you preparing for true success in ministry? And, and uh, as you take your Bibles and turn with me, um, we're going to study John 3, 27 through 30, really. We'll look at more than that, but John 3, 27 through 30. And so what I want us to focus on, and what I want you to understand is this. By observing the conversation in John 3, 27 through 30, we will see three truths to remember as we prepare for true success in ministry. So we're going to see three truths to remember as we prepare for true success in ministry. And it's going to take us a little while to get there, but we'll get there eventually. Um, and uh, so, yeah, um, let's read this text. We're going to start in verse 22, just to get the context. Um, follow along with me as I read, and then we'll pray and, and dig in. It says in John 3.22, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. Therefore there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. And they came to John... The disciples came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing, and all are coming to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said to you, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, 
and I must decrease. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the name of your Son, and we ask you, Lord, uh, that Jesus be glorified, and that we see him as ultimately the most beautiful and glorious person. Um, Let us pursue him with our lives. Lord, would you help us as we uh, understand true success in ministry, not to be what the world would define as success. Uh, Help us to remember uh, these truths well when we're in um, in the middle of ministry, when we're Uh, in the trenches, and when things are hard, help us to remember uh, these truths, Lord, we we ask. Um, Thank you for these people here. Thank you for those who are teaching us and training us for the ministry, Lord, and they're doing ministry themselves, and so I pray that this would bless them as well and be a help to them as they pursue Christ in ministry. I pray for the students with me here that um, we together would grow in Christ-likeness, that we would love Jesus as a, as a college, uh, that our classes would be pursuing Him, that uh, our conversations would be honoring to Him, and uh, that, that we would envision true success, how you see true, true success, Lord, uh, I pray. Um, give me a clear mind, I pray, and give these dear saints an attentive heart uh, as well. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, before we get to those three truths, we're going to look at the context. Um, So look back with me in verse 22. And really, the context is this. It's the fading ministry of John the Baptist. Um, We are seeing John the Baptist on the out, and Jesus is is becoming more and more popular. And um, as we'll see in a minute, John has not yet been thrown into prison. It's very early on in Jesus's ministry, and um, it's... uh, yeah, it's just, it, it just shows us uh, John's ministry is not booming, and he's not, he's not uh, the most popular anymore, and, and his disciples are worried, so we'll, we'll study that. But verse 22, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing them. Um, anytime you see after these things, it's a good idea to go back and find out what those things are. And so if we were to go back and, and look, we would see uh, Jesus has um, started his ministry in Cana doing this miracle at the wedding. Um, and then we'll see he goes, um, well, let's see. Yeah. Then at the end of chapter 2, um, he, he goes into Jerusalem for the Passover and he goes into the temple and he cleanses out the temple and he kicks out all these people who were making uh, God's temple just a, a marketplace. Uh, and then um, we see Nicodemus come up in John chapter 3, and you see this conversation with Nicodemus, which is interesting, too, because, uh, at least as I thought about it, um, <clears throat> in John chapter 1, you see all the Pharisees going to John the Baptist and asking him questions, and now they're going to Jesus. So it's just kind of a, just the idea that uh, Jesus is starting to gain prominence um, in, in ministry and in that, in that world. Um, and so it says, after these things, Jesus and his disciples came. Uh, Jesus came um, into the land of Judea. Um, that, as we, as we remember it, uh, we, just, we need to remember John's proper place. And we'll talk about it further down. But John came 
to draw attention to Jesus. He came to prepare people for Jesus. And then when Jesus came, he did exactly that. And he pointed to Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That was his whole ministry and his whole purpose was to prepare people and point people to Jesus. And so um, we see that Jesus came into the land of Judea. And uh, I, I just love the idea. Um, if you turn two pages over probably to John 5, 35. Um, Jesus talks about John the Baptist, and he says um, in John 5.35, He, John the Baptist, was the lamp that was burning and was shining, and you were willing to rejoice in, uh, for a while in his light. But the testimony which I have is greater than the testimony of John, for the works which the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I do testify about me that the Father uh, sent me. And uh, then if you remember back in John 1, it says about John the Baptist, this one was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. And that was John the Baptist's whole purpose. And so now we see Jesus uh, is coming into Judea and, uh, and his ministry is growing. This, this whole purpose is being fulfilled. Um, and then, and yeah, uh, and his disciples are with him. He would have had about at least the six that we see in, in John 1. Uh, uh, we, we don't know if there's the whole 12 yet or not, but, but there's, uh, there's a group of them there, uh, and they're in Judea. There's a question there because J Jesus was just in Jerusalem talking to Nicodemus, so they say, you, you know, you ask, well, he left Jerusalem and then went into the land of Judea. How does that work? Um, it, it, the, the word there for land of Judea could also be country. Um, so most of the commentators take that as being the countryside of Judea. He went out of the city and into the country um, and is baptizing there. So then in, in verse 23, we see John's ministry, um, and, it, and it starts by contrasting. It says Jesus came and was baptizing, and then it says, But John was also baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and people were coming and being baptized. And then we've got to just ask the question, why is John still baptizing Jesus has come. His ministry has started. Why is John the Baptist still baptizing? And I think simply it's just because nobody had told him to quit yet. And he was just doing what he was called to do until the Lord uh, ended that ministry. I think um, that there's a principle there that we just continue doing what the Lord calls us to do until he, he takes us home. And uh, so John is still baptizing and he's preaching. Uh, we would uh, look in, in Luke later and see that John is preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he's telling people to repent, um, and, and, uh, and their baptism is a picture of their, of their repentance. Um, they, yeah, they were still coming to him, so he was still baptizing. Um, and then you see this interesting thing in verse 24. Um, I was going to make a, a joke in verse 23 about a lot of water and immersing versus sprinkling, but I don't care that much. Um, <clears throat> so um, verse 24 Verse 24 says, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. And you just have to think, well, if John, yeah, kind of duh, like if John hasn't been thrown into prison, uh, you know, he, he wouldn't be baptizing if he was thrown into prison. Uh, so why did John insert this? Um, and what he did is he's clearing up, uh, as you read the synoptic gospels, um, and John's readers would have, would have already had the synoptic gospels. And so John is able to clear up the timeline um, uh, Matthew 4, verses 11 and 12, 
um, leave some kind of a vague timeline where Jesus comes back from, pre- from the wilderness and being tempted by the devil. And then it, and then it kind of says, like, G- you know, Jesus heard that John had been arrested and then, and then he came into, into Galilee preaching and things. And so uh, John is just kind of helping us see that timeline that um, John hasn't yet, that hasn't yet happened. He hasn't been thrown into prison. Um, and so then uh, verse 25, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with a Jew about purification. Um, John the Baptist was uh, just like all the other, or a lot of other rabbis, he had disciples, people who followed him around, and they would listen to what he said and, and live with him and, and all of those things. And, um, and so these men are still following Jesus, and uh, there arose a discussion. Um, the word discussion there can also be debate, investigation, controversy, uh, questioning, inquiry. Um, they're, they're discussing, and uh, it's, uh, it's started by the disciples of John, and we don't know exactly. Um, I, I have commentaries saying kind of 12 different things about what they're discussing, but they're discussing purification. Um, what, is, what does that mean? Purification and cleansing. People, uh, all throughout the Old Testament, we see the need to be cleansed from our sin and from disease and, and all kinds of other things when, um, yeah, when, in, in more of a physical sense, when you have uh, a person with leprosy who is healed, they were told to, to go and show themselves to the priest and they would be cleansed. Um, ladies, uh, even, even today, modern Jews, uh, ladies go to a mikvah, uh, which is a, a ceremonial cleansing bath, um, once a month, and I won't explain why for all you single guys, but um, they, they cleanse themselves after being in, unclean or impure, and, um, and so there's a ceremonial uh, impurity. Um, the Pharisees, talk, they, they talk with the Pharisees about the ceremonial washing of the hands, and it wasn't like, you know, soap and water and, and uh, make sure they're really good and clean. It was more of this ceremonial um, washing uh, as, a, as a picture um, and so they were all concerned about those kind of ceremonial cleansings, um, the outward form of them. But you can, we, we can imagine, you know, they're, they're talking about purification, and then immediately after that, the disciples go and ask John about Jesus. So I'm, I'm guessing that something that they were talking about had to do with Jesus' baptism versus John the Baptist or something like that. Um, and, and perhaps John's disciples were informed of how Many people were coming to Jesus, you know, um, what's, what's the difference between those two baptisms? Why are all these people leaving your, your rabbi and going way over here to, to this one over here? And, um, and so they're having this debate. Um, one question I, I guess I uh, was thinking through is, um, where does true cleansing come from? Does it come from being dipped in a river or sprinkled on your head or um, washing your hands ceremoniously? It doesn't. Um, true, true cleansing comes from Christ. Um, look with me in Hebrews chapter 9 briefly. Save your spot back in John. Look in verse 13, Hebrew chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls 
and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling, sprinkling, <clears throat> sprinkling those who have been defiled, sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <clears throat> that is where true purification, true cleansing comes from. Verse 26, after this discussion, the disciples of John are perturbed. Um, and you can see it in their tone. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, <clears throat> to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. Just notice their, their, their tone of jealousy and um, they're, they're a little bit upset they don't think this is right. They're, um, they're not excited about this. They're, <clears throat> they're defensive of, of John the Baptist. Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, he was, he was with you, and, and you testified to him. He's coming and everybody's, he, everybody's going over there to him. <clears throat> um, they, they've, uh, yeah, the, the struggle is John is, is losing followers. People are leaving John and going to Jesus. And that's evidenced in John chapter 1. You remember the two disciples that heard John speak when he said, <clears throat> Behold, the Lamb of God. And they said, Oh, okay. And they just followed Jesus. And I don't understand why the rest of the disciples didn't do that. But at least the two did. They, they, uh, John has been preparing them for Jesus to come. And then he points out Jesus. And so they just follow him. Um, <clears throat> and, and so they've already lost two of their of their fellow disciples, their dear friends, close, maybe even relatives, perhaps. Um, and, and so <clears throat> they're, they're defensive again. Um, it's, when, it, when it says, uh, you testified to him, we'll look at that in a second. But um, if you can imagine, uh, Andrew, Alberta, I'll pick on him since he picked on me. <clears throat> That's what the Bible says to do. Um, but imagine Andrew... Uh, went out and planted a church in Churchill, and, um, and he preaches his first sermon there. And then Brian Hughes tweets out, you know, Andrew's first sermon, and he tells everybody to go out and listen to Andrew preach, um, or, or at least just, you know, shares this sermon, says, here's this, here's this guy preaching in Churchill. And then everybody from Grace doesn't go to Grace on a Sunday, and they all go to Churchill. Um, there would be some people who would maybe be like, you know, what's, what's that all about? And that's probably not likely to happen. Andrew's <laughs> going to be a great preacher, but I don't think that's logical. Um, but if you can imagine, if, if everybody was leaving this person that you dearly loved and you're following and, and learning from, and they're going to somebody else, and, uh, and so they're, they're, uh, they're upset. All are coming to him. 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 3 through 5, we won't go there. You can read it later. But uh, it talks about, it says, since, since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And that's really what you can see here is they, there's jealousy and strife here. And they want, they want uh, John to be um, having this recognition that they think he, he should have uh, instead, of, instead of Jesus. So that gives us the context, uh, context. Now we have five minutes for the main point. Um, I am a Baptist by blood. Um, so uh, John's disciples have a certain view of success in which John is right. Uh, John is right there uh, 
sorry, yeah, John, John's disciples have this view of success where John is leading the charge and, and Jesus is ushering in this new kingdom and John is right there with him and they're all, they're all getting ready for this great kingdom. Uh, you remember when John ends up in prison and he sends out the messengers to Jesus, his disciples saying, you know, are we, or should we expect somebody else? What's, what's going on here? This isn't turning out like I had expected it to. Um, and uh, even, I think, yeah, I think... Um, you can see that where he's, uh, he has just this, this hint of um, what's, what's going on here. Um, but here in this passage, John has the perfect uh, view of what true success is. Um, the disciples t- seem to have a wrong idea about true success. So again, there are these three truths to remember as we prepare for true success in ministry. Um, truth number one, you are not in control. Truth number two, you are not Jesus. And then truth number three, got to find truth number three. It's not your party. It's not your party. You are not in control. You are not Jesus, and it's not your party. That's uh, these three truths. I want you to keep those in mind so that down the road, as ministry gets hard and you're tired uh, and, and uh, life is difficult in general, not even in ministry, remember those things. You are not in control. Uh, look in verse 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. Um, By the way, the statement, you are not in control, it's a negative statement, but it has so many positive, uh, it's such a positive concept. Can you imagine if we were in control and how bad that would be? Um, If we we got exactly what we thought we needed for ministry or for life, um, I, I think we would be um, pretty bad off that way. I'm pretty grateful that the Lord is in control. Um, just tell me some things that you know about God. Give me some attributes of God. Faithful. He's faithful. What else? God is loving. Yeah, what else? He's also faithful. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. He's extra faithful. He's gracious. What else? Give me some attributes about, um, about his bigness. What are some attributes about his bigness? He's creative. Okay. He's sovereign, yes. Um, He's he's what? He's immutable. He doesn't change, yeah. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. He's faithful. (laughs) He's wise. He's just. He's good. It is much better for us and the people that we serve if God decides what our ministry should look like. Now, does that mean that we just sit around and wait for Gabriel to show up or um, wait for that ministry opportunity to appear out of thin air? Uh, I don't think so, and I think James Montgomery Boyce helps us out. He says, no, believing in the sovereignty of God does not mean that we can be lazy, but it does mean that whatever the results of our efforts, we will see God's hand in them, and we will not be jealous of another through whom God apparently achieves more. Um, it, it says a man can receive nothing. Well, what man? He, he could be talking about, he, he's talking in, in general here. No one can receive anything unless it has been given him from heaven. Jesus even says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And he says, I don't do anything or say anything unless the Father tells it to me or I saw the Father do it. Um, John received this ministry. He didn't, he didn't 
call himself to be the forerunner to the Messiah. He was appointed from birth or from before birth. The Holy Spirit uh, in his mother's womb appointed him to this ministry. Um, Paul the Apostle in Romans 1 verse 5 says that we have received apostleship. They didn't declare apostleship. They received it. Uh, it's a gift. It's, um, this ministry is given to them from the Lord. And just for you and me, what, what do you have that you did not receive? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Everything that you and I have, we were given from the Lord. Um, and, and that pertains to all of life, our material blessings and our family members. Um, married guys, it says that a prudent wife is a gift from the Lord. Can I hear an amen from somebody? Amen. amen. Yeah, well, you're not married, but that's okay. Um, we'll get you there. Um, Job 1 gives us just a perfect picture of the Lord giving and the Lord taking away. Job loses everything, and what does he say at the end? He says, the Lord has given, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that is our view of God's sovereignty. He gives, he takes away, bless the Lord. He's good. We can trust him. He's faithful. So that is, um, you are not in control. You're not in control. This is, you are not Jesus. And I know I'm out of time, and I'm sorry. I'll, I'll fly through this. I'll, I promise. You are not Jesus, verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. You, if you look back in John chapter 1, <clears throat> um, verse 8, says, He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. Verse 20 says, And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Verse 25, they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And then verse 27, it is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. And so um, John understands he is not Jesus. He is the forerunner. He understands his mission. He has been sent. Uh, back to verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 23, he said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. There's a tendency in ministry to think that uh, we are who people need. We are what people need. Uh, they need my sermons, or they need my ministry, or my music, or whatever else. Um, but they don't need you. They need Jesus, and you get to be the instrument to point them to him. And, uh, and so we can treasure our job, but we need to make sure we know what our job is. Romans 12 tells us not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think, but to think with sound judgment. So think rightly about yourself. Don't think that you're the answer to somebody's problem. You have the answer in Christ, but you are not the answer to somebody's problem. Um, what is our job? 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. We are ambassadors for Christ. Um, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what we get to do. We get to do the opposite that John did. John um, prepared the way for Jesus and ushered in Jesus, and now we get to point back to Jesus and point people to him. Um, you are an ambassador for Christ. Wherever you are, job, ministry, home life, whatever, ambassador for Christ. And we achieve true success by pointing people to Jesus. Um, you are not Jesus. And then lastly, it's not your party. It's not your party. Look in verse 29. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. Do you remember when you were a little kid? And you would go to your friend's birthday party, and uh, they have these piles of presents all around them. 
and uh, your little heart is just full of jealousy and desire. And then it comes to the time to open presents, and they take one after the other, and they open it, and their joy just lights up their face, and they get so excited. And you're sitting there pouting, and why can't I have a present? I want one too. Well, you ask mommy, why, why can't I have one? And then she says, well, it's not your party. It's not your party, sweetheart. Um, it's not our party. This isn't our party. It's Jesus's. Jesus is the bridegroom. The church is his bride. We are, um, we are able to rejoice um, because Jesus is the center of attention. At the wedding, um, at weddings, uh, there, I don't know if it's still a trend, but there's, there are times when the best man or, or someone will see all these beautiful decorations already put up and this beautiful setting, lots of roses. And they think, this is a perfect time to propose to my girlfriend. And then they propose and steal all the thunder from the bride, and, and people are now looking at this engagement and things. Um, we, don't, we don't want to do that. We want to be um, pointing people to Christ, and it is his party. Um, Matthew 22, verse 2 tells us that the kingdom of heaven may com- be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And Jesus goes on to tell a parable about the kingdom of heaven. Um, and, and lots of pictures in Scripture. Ephesians 5, 25 through 27 tells us that husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, uh, and Revelation 19, 7 through 9 and 21 verse 9 tells us um, that the, the uh, bride of uh, Christ is coming down out of heaven and uh, the city of God is coming like a bride and there's all this picture of, of this wedding and, and you're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Um, in Isaiah 6, uh, 62 verse 5 God says to his people, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Um, the best man brought the bride to the groom. Uh, John is officially that bride, uh, that best man. He, 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 brought, he brought the bride to, to Christ uh, initially. That was his, his job in a sense. Um, but it's ours in the same sense. Um, we are to bring people to Jesus. Um, we are to find God's elect, wherever they may be, and we don't know who are elect and who aren't, so we just talk to everybody and, and pray that they are, and, um, and we bring them to Christ. Um, and, and this person has, stands and hears him and rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, so this joy of mine has been made full um, in ministry. Rejoice because Jesus is glorified. Don't, don't, don't rejoice when the you know, the church is full and everyone's telling you how great you are. Um, be careful when that happens. Be careful. That's when you've got to watch out real quick. Uh, the enemy is a prowling uh, lion. He's prowling around seeking someone to devour, so be careful. Um, but, but be excited at the same time because Jesus' bride uh, is, is coming to him, and he's rejoicing in his church. And so that extends to when the church down the road is growing and the gospel is being preached somewhere else and people are going there, or when their youth ministry is really good and kids from your church are going to their youth ministry on Sunday nights. Um, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The Lord is doing things. He is working in hearts. He's, he's, um, he's receiving glory and honor. Um, and so rejoice uh, on a personal note. Oh, that, that couple has 27 children, and they're all Christians, and they all have denim skirts and, and the whole nine yards. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. And it's hard. 
It's hard when your own ministry is failing. It's hard whenever you've lost nine children and you see God giving everyone else tons. Um, it's hard when, uh, when, when life is difficult. And, and so that's why we need to remember it and entrench it in our brains now so that 20 years down the road, um, the, we, can, we can remember these things. Um, so finally, in, in verse 30, true success in ministry is this. He must increase, but I must decrease. Um, yeah, Colossians 1.8. Uh, I'll, I'll read that in closing. I struggled a lot when I wrote my notes because as a preacher, I want to preach long. And as a student, I want to go to Tuesday lunch. And <laughs> I know the feeling. <laughs> I've been there, and I know it's been 10 minutes, and it's like, what are you doing? Let us go to lunch. So I apologize um, half-heartedly, I guess. Um, Colossians 1.18, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that what? He himself will come to have first place in everything. That is uh, the true success in ministry. Jesus has first place. Um, so remember those three truths. You're not in control. You're not Jesus. And it's not your party. Um, prepare well for ministry as we prepare and as we learn classes and, and we have great teachers and things. Prepare for ministry. But remember that true success in ministry is not numbers or nickels or whatever else. True success in ministry is that Jesus is glorified. So if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus, uh, and that's possible in a group this size, um, that's your primary goal. You can't honor Jesus if you're not his. So if you haven't trusted in Christ, um, Jesus died on a cross to pay for your sin. He bled and died and he bore the wrath of God so that your sin can be covered by him. And he gives you his righteousness instead. And so if you trust in him, you repent of your sins and you trust in him, um, you get everlasting life with Jesus. And by the way, we get to be with Jesus for all of eternity, and we'll be enjoying him and his supremacy, and we'll be uh, learning more about him for all of eternity, and we'll be able to um, keep doing these things, and we'll have a higher and higher view of Jesus the farther we go, I think. Um, anyway, let me pray, and we'll go eat lunch. Father, we love you. Uh, we're so grateful that you give us this ministry of reconciliation to go out and, and love people and serve people and draw people to Jesus. Pray that you would help us to pursue true success, to prepare for true success, and um, Lord, help us to trust you um, through the hard times and the good times. Uh, Lord, would you bless these dear saints, and would you uh, encourage them by your word. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.